Welcome to In The Trenches, where entrepreneurs, artists, writers, designers, inventors, warriors, and leaders share their stories of doing the hard, creative work that impacts all of our lives. Let the journey inspire you to do something worthwhile, build something bold, and create your life's work. And now, your host, Tom Morgus. Welcome back, everyone, to another broadcast of In the Trenches. I'm really excited to have on today's call Ryan Wagner, who is the founder of Let's Make Apps.io and is also uh, known for having built a million dollar freelancing business. We can get into the details a little bit about that and his process. And that's kind of what today is about is how he got into freelancing into service work and then built and grew and scaled to a really uh, a really nice amount of money doing what he enjoys doing and how he's been able to build that and and grow that and what he's doing from here um, to, to kind of move in certain certain new directions which we'll talk about today so Ryan thanks so much for being on the call no I'm really excited to be here thanks a lot awesome so we were just talking offline your background is actually in the Navy isn't it yeah so after high school um, I joined the Navy, and this was actually, I joined right before September 11th, um, and I was in for, for four years, and got out, went back to school, and I worked for a little bit as a product manager, but I have always been entrepreneurial, and the chance to kind of write my own ticket and do what I wanted, work with clients I wanted to, was just too strong, and so I started freelancing in 2007, and I've been doing it ever since. What was your degree in? My degree is in business, actually. So I've been programming since I was a kid. Um, and I could have gone for computer science, but I felt like I had some background in that. And I was really interested in how to use technology on the business side to actually attack business problems. And so um, went for business. And my first job was a product manager, um, which is kind of like communicating between the engineers and the business team. So it was kind of a good role to um, you know, for me in terms of the intersection of those two skill sets. Right. So then when you actually got started, um, kind of working for yourself, both as a freelancer and as an entrepreneur in that context, were you doing, uh, it, it, like programming engineering related tasks? Is that what you were freelancing on? Yeah. So I started as a web developer, mm -hmm. uh, doing freelance web development. And these days I do mobile development primarily. Um, but I work with startups who are very much at the conceptual stage. So I'm usually yeah. helping them build out the first version of their their app. And then ideally, like, you know, we're going to iterate on that and while they raise funding and build out their team. And because they're so early and it's so conceptual, uh, my role is is very much a consultant as well to helping them figure out like what we should build and why um, to kind of further their business goals as opposed to just them handing me a complete you know spec and like build this out. I mean, honestly, if you if you have a complete spec that you need build out and you know exactly what you want, you can find people that are cheaper than me. Right. So. Interesting. Okay. So, I mean, let's just right away get into that. Sure. You are very specific about who you work with. I mean, even when you just said it, I was like, wow, that's an interesting group of people to work with. Early stage startups who are in the conceptual phase. Um, uh, why? Why? Why that? Why, how'd you and, and how? Why and how? Sure, sure, sure. So uh, the why is that basically um, if you the more that you niche within, a, you know, within a reasonable uh, amount, yep. the more that you can kind of niche down, the easier everything gets. It becomes easier to, to identify your target market. It becomes easier to sell to them. Uh, you learn a ton about their business and how it works. You learn about like what keeps them up at night, what excites them. And so you can speak their language and 
I mean, I can't tell you how easy it is to close deals uh, whenever you get on the phone with somebody and you say, you know, this is exactly what I do. And, you know, from, from A to Z for companies um, that look like this. And if they are kind of within that demographic, they're sold. Like that's exactly what they need. It like, and nobody else speaks to them like that. They get on the phone with people who are generalists and who do everything. And, mm. and it just, you know, like they're trying to f- figure out like, do these people really understand what I need? Are they going to be able to deliver the value that I'm trying to um, that I'm trying to get from this engagement? And so it just becomes everything becomes easier whenever you niche. And as a result, you can charge more. Uh, you can spend less time on kind of um, on the sales and marketing process as well. It's the vast. I mean, the vast majority of difficulty with picking a niche and really and really um, focusing down on it is emotional. Because you have to turn down stuff. You have to say, like, you know, I'm sorry, that's not really what I do. And most people, especially when they're starting out, they're afraid to do that. Um, but the truth yeah. is that that I mean, you're gonna make, you're gonna you're gonna provide so much more value to people, and as a result, like, you're gonna make so much more as a as a freelancer if you can do that. So in this case, and I'm definitely gonna dig into this more, but like as an example with that, have you ever gotten somebody who's like, I want you to do X, Y, and Z, nothing conceptual. <laughs> And they've offered you like a good price and that you turned down. So I turn down stuff all the time that doesn't, that isn't a good fit for me um, for various reasons. I've definitely, I've definitely worked with startups who, um, who may not need like a particular like subset of my skills. So it, it would be pretty rare that somebody would hire me where they have a complete spec and they just need me to build it and they don't really want any input. And that's, and I probably wouldn't do it in that case because that's just not the kind of, I, I, I prefer a collaborative um, process yeah, totally. where like they value the expertise that I'm bringing to the table. Um, I don't want to be a cog in somebody's machine. And, and truthfully, like they don't want me to be either because, like I said, they can find somebody cheaper if that's all they need. Um, mm-hmm. But I think you know most founders recognize the value of having somebody who has – I mean, I have founder experience myself. Um, I've worked with like – dozens of founders on tons of different apps within the mobile space. And so I have a lot of expertise that I've built up around like what works and what doesn't. And, you know, the smart founders, I think, understand that they're not going to ever probably have like that level of expertise within this one area. And so it makes source, it makes sense to, to get somebody that they can have those discussions with and, and take advice from. Yeah. And now to kind of, we're going to be going back and forth here because I want to get a full picture of this, but sure. when you first started out, did you go specifically into this niche? No. So, I mean, like, like a lot of freelancers, I basically started out just kind of doing whatever I could. Um, and I do think that, I think that freelancers should pick a niche and they should go, um, you know, they should really focus on it. But I think that it's okay for that to take a little bit of time. I mean, I definitely passed up niches that I could have done that I don't think I would be really happy working with, um, in the long run just because that industry isn't great or I just don't love the process there. So, I mean, I'll give you a good example. Like I've worked with a lot of agencies um, over the past nine years and agencies are great to work with. They're a great source of work, but I just, I don't love um, the the process of working with agencies personally. There's nothing wrong with them. And I, I definitely know freelancers who kind of focus on that, but it's just not for me. There's some things about um, the nature of the relationship that it's, it doesn't tend to be um, like you're kind of turning around stuff relatively quickly usually. And I like, I like working with a, like with a startup over kind of a longer term period where mm-hmm. I can really get to know them um, and, and so forth. So that's, that's not a judgment at any you know, by any means, that's just that it wasn't really for me. Totally. And I think if I had 
had tried to pick a niche really early on, I definitely could have ended up with one that just wasn't a great fit because I didn't really know myself and I didn't know what kind of freelancer I wanted to be and what I enjoyed doing and so forth. But so early days, no, I just kind of did everything and I am okay with that. I wish I'd niched down a little bit sooner than I did, but, um, you don't really know that at the time. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's hard to know. I think there's just some organic, I, I think what I would tell freelancers is just to be on the lookout. Um, and just yeah. be thinking in this direction, like, where do I want to focus? I don't want to yeah. be a generalist. Generalists yep. get killed. Yep. Um, where do I want to focus? And yep. just be always on the lookout for things because, man, there's a lot of really, really interesting things out there that people focus on. Yeah. So, And, and that's also the danger, too, is there's so many things you could possibly focus on, I think, too, right? And, right. And shiny, yep. shiny penny syndrome or whatever, right? Yeah, exactly. So when when it came to you, how'd you refine that? How'd you get to that point where you're like, this is it? Where do we do conceptual stage startups and that's what yeah we, i think we i mean i think that um for me personally like i i think because i was a product manager uh, maybe because i have a business background because i have founder experience i really love the product development um process like i like starting with a blank whiteboard yeah and an idea of like who our target audience is and a rough idea of kind of our business model and like let's let's sketch it out and break it up into phases and um you know figure out what the mvp looks like and that um that process is something that not a lot of developers can do. And so I found pretty quickly that I could kind of stand out um, just by offering that service um, where I was just a little bit more, I was a little bit earlier than a lot of developers would be involved, a little bit more conceptual than some developers. I could kind of speak the founder language and understand like what they were looking for and what they were interested in better than some people who are, who are technical. Um, yeah. And I mean, I got positive feedback from that, both from from clients in terms of the the um, referrals and repeat business and stuff, and then also just in terms of the rates that I was able to charge. And so I kept following that, and that's kind of how I ended up here. So, okay, so tell me a little bit about um, you know the to w- whatever degree you feel comfortable. But I'm always curious sure. to a degree, like uh, the the financial aspect of the stuff in terms of pricing in terms of like how people kind of position themselves, uh, pricing wise. So, um, are you at liberty to talk at all about how you price and how that sets you apart in the market? Absolutely. So, um, I mean, from a high level perspective, so I've been doing this for eight and a half years. It'll be nine years this summer. Um, I, I don't release like kind of my total income or whatever, but I do say that for the last few years, I've consistently made more than 250K a year in profit from my business. Um, and that's not to say that couldn't change, but I feel pretty confident that my business is on pretty solid foundation. And, yeah. and just to be clear, I'm a solo consultant. Um, I do have a junior developer that I have do some like basic project stuff for me, but I'm not an agency or a dev shop. That's just me. So, um, wow. in terms of how I price, I do think that like pricing is, is an art, um, and it's probably one of the more important things that you can learn and really try and improve on as a freelancer. It's, it drives a lot of other things in your business, um, indirectly. And it is something that a lot of freelancers are pretty bad at. They, I mean, so I never charge hourly right off the bat. Um, that's probably like the easiest thing to point to that. I think a lot of freelancers do wrong. I never charge hourly ever. And I haven't for years, um, with very few exceptions. And that, um, you know, we could get into like why that's important, but basically, you know, people respond to incentives and charging hourly really, 
um, sets up the wrong incentives for you and for your business. It puts you and your client on, on kind of opposite sides of the table instead of being a partners. And it's just, it really will put a ceiling on your income. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're charging whatever it is, 75 bucks an hour and you want to double your income next year, you basically either have to, you know, dramatically raise the number of hours that you're working or double your rate. And if you're charging hourly, you're, you, the pricing that you're doing is very much a commodity pricing. So if you start charging twice that, um, you know, yep. most of your clients are going to need to see some serious justification for that. Yep. Um, you're just, you're anchoring the whole discussion in the wrong place in my, pers- you know, in my view. Yeah, definitely. So how do you get to, uh, how do you move outside of that per hour pricing? How, how do you price then like a product? I don't know if you do productized services, but like, how do you then actually like create the pricing around whatever it is that you do? Sure. So productized services are, are awesome if you can do it. Um, it primarily, I think the value of productized services is that you get out of proposal writing, which is miserable. Um, so I think that's like, that's the big benefit of, of doing productized stuff. I really struggled with, with productizing my services for a long time. I'm, I've figured out a few offerings that I think, um, are going to be workable for my, uh, consulting audience that I'm going to be rolling out here shortly. Um, but whether or not you do productized consulting, I definitely think that doing value-based pricing, um, is, is the way to go. And value-based pricing is a term that Mm -hmm. gets thrown around a lot and it means a lot of things to different people, but essentially you're charging for the value that you're creating, not for how much time you're putting into it. Um, and that, that's a really a mind shift that a lot of freelancers have a hard time with, partly because it's, it's really difficult to quantify the value that you're creating in the vast majority of cases. I mean, there are people who are doing like conversion rate optimization who can directly say, you know, like, here is your conversion rate on this e-commerce site. We raised it, you know, 2% and that's going to result in X dollars of sales. But the vast majority of freelancers, like they don't have that. They're writers, they're graphic designers and developers working on like a backend internal system. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, it can be really difficult to quantify what the value of that is. But I still think that trying to think in terms of what, what's the output of your work and how much is that output worth to your client as opposed to what's the input and how much are you charging for that? Um, it really shifts the conversation, shifts the way you think about your business. Um, it, it enables you to make investments in your business to add more value for your, for your clients. Um, if you're charging by the hour, you don't want to do anything that's going to take you half the time on your next job to deliver the same result because that just means you lost half of your revenue. That's terrible. So, um, and whether or not you want to be affected by that as a freelancer, you are going to be affected by that. It's just, you're not going to be thinking about ways that you can improve your business by adding more and more value. You're going to be, you know, you're going to be trying to figure out how you can raise your hourly rate a little bit. Yeah, so totally. Well, that, I, I completely hundred percent agree when it comes to, you know, for what you do, I, I feel like, uh, and again, maybe this is my, you know, I'm misinterpreting, but I feel like startups, um, to some degree, uh, would be cash strapped, but is that actually not the case? Is it more like kind of venture back type startups, uh, incubator backs, you know, startups that have cash? Yeah. So, I mean, my whole, like my positioning statement in its entirety is basically that I help, uh, funded mobile focused startups build mm. MVPs and raise funding and then build out an internal team. Oh, so awesome. I, I don't work. I mean, I work with bootstrap startups. Like if they want to put their, their own cash in, there aren't as many of those. Um, and I, I mean, I turned down the vast majority of potential clients mm-hmm. because either because they can't afford me or it's just not a good fit, mm-hmm. um, for some other reason. But you're right that 
that startups are a tough business. And, uh, and this is a, a good example, I think, of where, you know, it's not for everybody. I don't have any trouble, um, you know, talking to, to 10 potential clients and knowing that I'm just going to get one. I think some people would have a harder time with that. They would feel like they're, they're losing every deal or like they're letting these people down or something. And, and so I think, you know, which niche works for you is as much a matter of, of kind of your personality and the types of people that you like working with as it is like what your technical skill set is. Sure. Now on that note though, like talking to 10 people, getting one, um, I'm really interested in this. Like for you, you've been in business long enough. You, what, what does it look like for you and how you position this? Like in terms of like how many leads do you have to generate to, to close a deal? Um, you know, and how important is that for a, for a freelancer, for a consultant or somebody offering services to like be aware of that, uh, that metric? Right. So I think that, um, basically the, as a freelancer, you want to have as many leads as you can handle. Um, and we can come back to that a little bit because getting too many leads can be an issue as well, especially if they're not qualified. But I really think that, you know, one of the keys to being aggressive with your pricing and, and, and having the, um, having the margin to be able to take some risks with the type of offerings that you're doing with the way that you structure your client uh, relationships, um, really comes down to like, having the freedom to know that if you don't get this job because the client doesn't like the way you want to structure it, that that's fine because you have another lead coming tomorrow. A lot of freelancers, I think, struggle because, you know, like they're getting a relatively low number of leads. And so they, they feel like they need each one because they probably do need each one. Um, and if you have a ton of leads that really kind of frees up your, and but you know, you can only take a certain percentage of them anyway, that really kind of frees up your mental space to be like, you know, if I don't get this, because I'm charging too much or because the client, you know, they want to have daily check-in calls or they want me to work on site or whatever else, then that's fine. Like I'll have another client tomorrow and that'll be a better one probably. And so, um, for me, it was really critical to work really, really hard, particularly in the first five years, I would say to try and drum up business pretty much everywhere I could. Um, and, and just know that 98% of it, like wasn't going to turn, you know, wasn't going to go anywhere. Um, but the, just the fact that I had some kind of like deal flow in terms of, or lead flow, I guess, um, really gave me kind of some psychological comfort, uh, to be able to, to push the boundaries and to charge more and to take some risks. How, what, what, what led to your success in actually generating that lead flow? So, I mean, the early days, it was everything from Craigslist to like tons of other freelance job boards. I mean, I, I have made well over $500,000 cumulatively off of Craigslist alone. Really? Um, yeah. Which is something that a lot of people I think are pretty surprised about, but I mean, Craigslist is huge and there's, there's good stuff posted on Craigslist all the time. There's good clients on Craigslist all the time. I got a, in 2014, I did a, a job that I found on Craigslist for $107,000. Wow. How, and what were they saying? This is what we're charging or what were they, how did, how did no, they present no, no. it? And how'd you get to that price point? No. So, um, you know, it was just somebody that I reached out to. Like yeah. it, I have kind of like a very, again, like that's more art than science, but I have sure. like this process for filtering through things and looking for gems. And it was somebody who seemed like they might have some, uh, some real, um, potential. And I reached out to them and we actually had a meeting, um, and it was for a client that was like a pretty large museum that, um, this guy was on the board of, or knew somebody on the board. I don't know, but it was a, you know, it was a good, it was a really good prospect. It could have gone really well, but that job actually ended up falling through, but the guy's assistant, 
left at who I also met with and who was like part of the meetings. Um, he left to start a startup of his own and he hired me and I built out their mobile MVP after they raised money. And those kinds of things are not unusual. I mean, I wouldn't take every single thing that I, every conversation or lead or introduction or whatever I got in the hopes that, you know, somebody they know might eventually start a startup. But the, the original job, if it had turned into something probably would have been a 30 to $50,000 job. It just so happened that it actually turned into something even better. So, um, but that's not unusual. I mean, I, I have probably a dozen like good repeat clients that I've picked up over the years, not that are current clients, but that have been good clients over the years that I, um, that I found on Craigslist originally. That's awesome. Um, can you take me through your process for vetting clients and what it looks like from, cause you said something you're like, Oh yeah, I know it's more art than science, but you said there's some indicator there for you to yeah. say, yeah, this is worth reaching out to. So I'm curious about from, from start to finish, how do you find, vet, and then close those deals? Sure. So, um, so I'll tell you how I how I used to do it, and then sure. um, at the end I'll plug. Let's make apps. So, <laughs> um, so basically, I like Craigslist is a good example. Craigslist is actually not one site; it's a collection of like five hundred and something sites all over the country, mm-hmm. and all those sites have RSS feeds. And so I pull the RSS feeds. Um, from every single Craigslist city in the country for the categories that I was looking for stuff, which would be thousands and thousands of posts every day, most of which are crap and spam and nonsense. And I would basically run some searches on those to pull out stuff that had keywords that I was looking for. And that would give me, you know, a few hundred things. I would skim through all those, open up all the ones that looked like they might be interested. And in the end, I'd end up with, you know, 20 or 30 things a day that had some potential. Um, and uh, and that's kind of where the art and you know more than science comes in. So I don't know. That, I mean, you've been on Craigslist. I'm sure you know kind of what I'm talking about. There's crazy people on Craigslist mm-hmm. who just post stuff that is ridiculous, or you know, somebody who wants a website built for five dollars, or who wants an Uber clone, and mm-hmm. I don't know. There's just there's a lot of junk, and so you just kind of have to filter that out. What you're looking for is people who kind of know what they want, who are looking to actually hire somebody. They're not just like wondering how much it might cost. Mm-hmm. Um, they are they understand a little bit about technology at least. I mean, they don't need to, to be able to do this themselves. Um, but they, you know, they're not like looking for a, a webmaster, mm-hmm. um, you know, or something that is just archaic. Um, <laughs> and, and then I would just go through and I would craft a response for those. Um, the responses would be like 80% the same for every person and a little bit of customization for each one. And I'd send those out and, you know, the vast majority of those never went anywhere. I mean, I probably would send out a hundred emails for every two or three, like good responses I would get. Um, and I, I, you know, I wasn't spamming, like I really was sending to stuff that I could do that seemed like it'd be a good fit. Um, but you know, they, these people are getting a lot of responses and so you can't expect to hear back from everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, the, the nice thing about being a solo, uh, consultant is you can actually only handle a few clients. Mm-hmm. So you really don't need very much to be to be busy. And once you're busy, every additional lead that you get, you can charge whatever you want because yep. you, you know, you are, you're busy already. And so if this person wants you to make space for them, they're going to have to pay more than the last guy. Yep. Um, so it actually isn't that difficult. I think as a freelancer, if you're, re- you know, if you're ready to go to work, if you're ready to go out there and like really hammer it, there's a, I mean, Craigslist is not the only place. There's tons and tons of job boards and people out there who are looking for freelancers and they're not all going to be great. Um, and the, you know, I have a, we can talk a little bit about like the, that's kind of the filtering process for my initial 
outreach to these people. I have a whole other kind of backend filtering process before they can become a client. But um, yeah, the, I'll, I'll make the plug real quick. So I, I did all this for years. And uh, last year, I kind of like codified all this into a process and a service called Let's Make Apps um, that is for designers and developers for web and mobile. Um, and every day, like we go through Craigslist and hundreds of other sites looking for the best freelance job posts. And we kind of apply the criteria that I just told you and a bunch of other things. And then we put the best 50 or 60 of those into an email that goes out to all the subscribers uh, every day. So it just saves you a ton of time not, you know, not doing the sifting through yourself and, you know, not trying to keep track of like 200 different sites to make sure that you don't miss anything. So, um, so you, I mean, what I'm getting from this is you did, you, you, like the majority of your, well, I'm making an assumption there by saying majority, but, um, but you were, you were getting clients through essentially through cold outreach. Yeah. I mean, I, it's a little bit different. I would say, um, I, I used to call it prospecting, Mm -hmm. um, where you're basically panning for gold. Like you're looking for like the one little tiny flake of gold in like a huge pile of dirt and, but these are people who are looking for somebody already. So it's not really cold outreach to it's like lukewarm response outreach or something. I don't know. It's people who are like, Hey, I need a developer. And you're like, Oh, Hey, I'm a developer over here. Um, and so I have done a little bit of cold outreach over the years, but not much like truly cold outreach where, you know, I'm like seeking out, like this looks like it might be a a good fit and I'm going to email them cold. I, I haven't had a lot of experience with that. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, my first, my first like three or four years, um, really all came from either directly from this kind of, uh, outreach response, um, prospecting process or from, um, kind of the offshoots of that, whether it was repeat business or referrals. And that's really what you're trying to get to. Um, in my opinion, like this is just a way to seed your network mm-hmm. because the truth is that the the best work you can get, the easiest work to get is repeat business. It's from a client that, that you've already worked for in the past. You've gotten good results for them. Um, and if they call you up and say that they need you to, to, you know, look at a potential thing, it's probably yours to lose. They're probably not putting it in front of 20 other people. Um, and it's not going to be a super competitive bidding process down to the, you know, to the, to the last nickel or anything, you can probably just tell them, you know, this is what I would charge. And as long as it seems reasonable, they'll, they'll go for it because you've built up trust and, and they're not pricing for risk the way that they are with somebody new. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Very cool. Um, you know, I guess I'm curious, you know, you said you're kind of a solo operation, which is like really impressive to me. Um, and, and also at the same time, like intimidating, um, I'm sure, but I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who would want that, um, and may want to go that direction. I'm curious, what is, you know, when you're, you know, doing these large contracts and closing these things and, and you're generating, you know, a significant amount of revenue per year, especially as a solo operation, like that's, I mean, that's ridiculous. Um, you know, quarter million profit is, is n- n- that's no slouch, right? Um, how do you, what does your day to day look like? Like, I mean, what is for you, how many hours are you putting into this stuff? Like. Uh, and I, I don't know how much you can share there. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. curious. Um, I put in a reasonable number of hours. Okay. So I, I mean, I have a, I have, a, I have an 11 month old daughter mm-hmm. and I've been married for 12 years or something. I don't generally work 
nights and weekends unless it's on my own stuff. Um, and there's only so much productive, like development work and kind of like very like cognitively heavy work that you can do every day anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I've gotten pretty good at just saying like, you know what, like this is it. Like I had a productive like four or five hours today. I'm really not going to make a ton of progress in the next four or five hours. So I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go take care of some like lower, cognitive load stuff like email or, you know, a few phone calls or, or whatever. Um, but I do think that managing your time and kind of your mental workload and energy and, and so forth is something that most freelancers are really bad at. And most entrepreneurs are pretty bad at actually. Um, they get really sucked into the, like, I'm super busy and I want to go, go, go all the time. And, um, it's, it's not healthy and it's, it's actually not productive. I don't think so. Um, I would say my day-to-day is, is pretty uh, pretty healthy. <laughs> I feel pretty good about it. Yeah, that's awesome. Wow. Um, okay, so when what do you, like, you're obviously doing pretty good for yourself. Um, how many clients do you work with um, at a time? Like, how many projects are you managing? So I like to do one kind of big project at a time. Um, occasionally, I'll do, like, one big and one, like, kind of medium project um, that they where they overlap for a little bit, just scheduling-wise. This is an area where, like, my junior developer does come in handy because I'll have him kind of start scaffolding out the beginning of the next project while I'm kind of wrapping up the previous one. Um, or he's doing QA stuff you know like let's move this over 10 pixels or whatever on the last project Mm -hmm. while i'm kind of kicking off the new one or whatever it is so that kind of helps like with the overlap in particular but i do try to kind of have like one big thing at a time that said i also keep a day or two a week usually a day a week open for um for kind of ongoing uh engagements with clients so i have some clients that are like on uh, support retainers, um, or where I do like kind of ongoing consulting work for them. And so I'll try and keep some time open, um, for them as well. So. Okay. Very cool. So actually, I mean, we were coming to to wrapping up anyway. So what I want to present to you is, uh, the opportunity to kind of tell people where they should go check you out. Um, we've already talked a little bit about, um, what you're working on, but where can people find out more about you, learn about you, hire you if they want to, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. So, um, they can just go to letsmakeapps.io. So letsmakeapps.io. And then if you go to slash uh, ITT, I'll put up a, a page that has um, just a few giveaways for your audience um, that I think that they'll find useful and relevant. Awesome. I'll make sure that's linked up in the show notes. But awesome, Ryan. Well, this is really insightful, man. I mean, I'm, again, I'm really impressed by what you built. Uh, great stuff. Uh, bonus points for being a veteran, obviously, um, and all that. But uh, thank you so much for being on the call. Absolutely. It was my pleasure. Thank you for listening to In the Trenches. Your creative work doesn't stop here. Join the resistance, the small but growing army of entrepreneurs and artists putting a dent in the world at www.tommorkis.com. Never fight alone. Join the resistance.